0: You're listening to the Art of Move podcast, hosted by Dr. William Raybar and Anthony Manuel, where we attempt to create a grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and training. If you enjoy these episodes, you can watch them streamed live on nofilter.net, where you can interact directly and have all your questions answered in real time. Five, four, three, two, one. One, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Art of Move podcast with myself, Anthony Manuel, my good friend, Dr. William Raybar. We're still out here in the Canadian Rockies talking about the human experience, what it's like to live in the human body and a human psyche. We're still trying to find the Grand Unified Theory of Human Movement and Biomechanics and so much more we have recently discovered on some of our more recent episodes. Today, we are joined by my good friend, Eric Tessie, more popularly known on Instagram as FlowOps, Master Level Go to Coach, Cranial Shape Changer. Absolute wizard in terms of the recode process. I would say one of the top go to coaches in the game, one of the most nuanced go to coaches in the game. I'm really, really stoked to have him here to talk about the practical applications of go to training, not just the patterns of go to movement, but how you actually use the training to create the changes. If you listen to our first episode, this is our second episode with Eric. Our first one really talked about the Gota principles, and I think it's one of the best episodes that you could listen to to get a baseline understanding of the Gota philosophy. And today we're gonna to be talking about Gota movement practice and movement training and how you can actually implement those philosophies in a movement practice. So first of all, man, thank you for coming on. It's really nice having you here again.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to get into these deep dive discussions with you guys. Yeah, so, getting... yeah, let me know where we're taking this conversation.
0: Will, do you have any requests before I before I just um, hammer right into it?
2: No, uh I kind of wanted to just get into where what's new in the Goda sphere? Maybe some changes that have happened or haven't happened and uh where Goda was, let's say when we did the episode, I believe it was episode 33. Everyone should listen to that by the way cuz it does really dive into the to the principles of Goda but has there been any major changes within GoDA um, since we talked last?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of GoDA, as the company, as the business, like there hasn't been too many changes we still got the head guys um, running the ship, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's clearly been things I've been saying lately, right. About, about how this stuff is being applied. So, I mean, I think that's kind of known um, from guys at the top, like guys at the top agree with me when I'm saying there's issues with the application of GoDA. In real time and you know how most coaches and most people are actually training it so nothing you know nothing really has changed top down other than you know we're just we're starting to be more clear about what some of the issues are and and yeah it's just you know essentially people not tapping deep enough into the math for us to get the result that we're looking for for us to be able to back up our claims so
0: for um for people who are just listening now when you say the math Could you give a, like a brief description, some some, like tell a story about what it means to be in the math.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when, when we say the math, it's like a broad kind of vague term, but I can describe it here. Ultimately it's all of the pieces coming together. We have our fundamentals of back chain inside ankle bone high columns, um, and you know, 45 degree pressure wave as we're moving forward through space, the body rotates. In a 45 degree weight from one column to the other so we have those basics and essentially the math is having all the basics line up the whole body being aligned and you actually having the underlying pieces to express what what goda is and ultimately it's you know the segments turning one way and then the segments turning the other way right now to coordinate all that and put all those pieces together that's what the math is and all the underlying pieces um you know building off of each other and working together to 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 manifest that in real time you manifest go to locomotion in real time um, so what does it feel like there's you know there's there's definitely a sensation to it some people have described it as borderline spiritual um, but there 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 really is the sensation to it when you're in the mat that everything is firing um, yeah you know you just feel powerful you feel strong you feel stuff that you don't normally feel.
0: For those who are just listening for the first time and don't know what Goda is, Goda, my understanding and my experience of it is a movement system based on observations of nature, the natural movement patterns of some of the best athletes who experienced very little or no injury throughout their athletic career, uh, people who are still able to run into their 80s, 90s, even 100 years old, babies just fresh out of the womb before they have all the environmental inputs affecting their locomotive patterns, You have uh, indigenous tribes that run and, again, don't have the inputs of chairs or footwear or lifting or these unnatural inputs that are sort of normalized in our environment. And when you look at these patterns, there are specific joint angles, right? And so these joint angles, I think when you're talking about the math, they are the the joint angles that are associated with the total system uh, that Gota that yeah. has identified. So living in the math is adhering to these joint angles. So when you're yeah. talking about... Um, people not being in the math in a practical sense, what are you seeing that's not being done right or could be done better?
1: Yeah, I mean, it can go, we can, you can break it down from all the pieces, you know, the major and obvious pieces to the more underlying pieces. So, you know, whether that's not actually being in the back chain or, you know, yeah, not definitively being in the back chain or, you know, operating from wider columns, wider feet than where we want to be, um, pressure moving to the ball, of the big toe, um, you know, the inside ankle bone lowering and restricting torque from that talus joint and lower leg. Um, you know, another, other easy ones are misalignment, whether that's, you know, like forward head posture, right. Or, you know, a rib cage and a pelvis that's tilting too much in one way or tilting too much the other way. Um, you know, mouth breathing is another easy one. So there's a lot of things that are, that, you kind of see more often than, there's a lot of things I see more often than not where there's ultimately missing pieces, right? So it, it has to, and, and the reason why the pieces have to be there is because what we're trying to do is such a difficult like task. Our body is so used to the framework that's already moving through and holding itself up against. So it's, you know, these training inputs when we are hyper-focused on what's actually going on in the training setting, that's, that's like the main thing that is leveling us, leveling us up forward. So, because every piece builds off of every piece within the math, right? I mean, you, you even get one off and it kind of messes with what's actually taking place. It's very easy to, like, create a shape that looks like it's, um, you know, a go-to shape or it looks like it's within the blueprint. But then if you actually watch how, you know, someone got from point A to point B, it wasn't the right, like, function to, to get to that shape or to get to that joint angle.
2: So there's a lot you described there. There's, you know, inside ankle bone high, there's uh, landing on the outside, there's being in your back chain. Where do you usually start here? Where do you see the issues being within, let's say the coaching community? And uh, how do you address it piece by piece, layer by layer? Where do you start?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I would, I would say it's kind of, there's a little bit of that individual context, I would say to like what each person is going through, but ultimately a good place to start is like deeper layers of alignment. Like where's my rib cage in space? Where's my pelvis in space? Where's my shoulder blades, my neck and, you know, like am I actually leveraged with my center of mass um, in the back chain? Like those basics along with the foot platform and the foot structure are really, really good place to start in my opinion.
0: Yeah. When you're talking about a, a pelvis and, and rib cage alignment, that's something that yeah. I remember go to certain go to coaches were really criticized for yeah. to a degree because they would, you know, they'd have these dramatic rib flares or these Donald duck butts, but they're like, it doesn't matter. I'm in the back chain. My hips are behind my ribs. Yeah. So when you're talking about an optimal alignment of, you know, your, your pelvis to your rib cage, I noticed that about working with you. Cause you know, you and I did quite a bit of work together. You helped me with my own yeah. recode stuff. And that emphasis on, you know, the how my rib cage was angled in relationship to my pelvis actually gave me more range to articulate in my hips. And I found that really interesting. It gave me more yeah. access to my back chain. So when you're when you're um when you're looking for this optimal pelvic rib cage alignment, what yeah. are you looking for and what inputs are you trying to give to people?
1: Okay. So that, that pelvis and ribcage, for for them to, you know, first of all, like the spine. Is, you know, so a pelvis and rib cage, they can tilt, you know, either anteriorly or posteriorly, right? So that can manifest as a spine that is, you know, starting to really curve or a spine that is starting to really round, right? And ultimately, there's going to be a sweet spot for that. And we know that in upright locomotion, there is going to be a layer, an element of extension and, you know, curvature, right? I, I don't want to use the word lordosis, but there's an element of that extension and curvature, okay? Now, again, the The concern is when that curvature starts becoming too much, and then essentially what ends up happening is the the joints of the lower back, they start compressing. And then with that, what you would see visually from the other pieces of the rib cage and the pelvis is, again, they're starting to tilt too much in one direction. So, you know, the best way I can put it is that there's a sweet spot for every single cue that you can think of. Every single, like, postural adjustment, joint angle, there's a sweet spot to, you know, optimally operate um, within that context for every cue.
2: Okay. So, um, one of the criticism I, I've heard is that with all these cues, a person's yeah. walking around and they're just way too into their head and yeah. ruining their own neuro- neurology, letting uh-huh. everything loose and go. How do you reconcile that? How do you yeah. uh, have all these cues within your head and at the same time, naturally flow your body? Yeah.
1: Well, man, and that's why that's like, that's, you know, it's a perfect segue into what we, it's perfect with what I already talked about, right? That's why we got to get the training setting stuff, right? Because, you know, you want to think about this stuff. You want, you know, it's hard not to think about this stuff, first of all, because it's a whole new paradigm, especially people who are into this stuff and obsessed with movement. It's very hard not to think about it. But ultimately, yeah, it has to translate into subconscious movement behaviors, right? So I totally agree with you that we can't, we can't really be thinking about this stuff all the time. And we shouldn't be thinking about this stuff all the time it needs to translate into subconscious behaviors. So, you know, when people start thinking that they really have like the wrong idea, I guess, or they're, you know, they're they're trying to poke a hole in it. Um, So, you know, you want to think about stuff now and be conscious of stuff now, so that later down the line, you don't got to think about it so much, right? And that comes down to, you know, the everyday behaviors that you're building right now to to be a GOTA. And of course that comes down to the training setting inputs and, you know, actually like flossing through the articulation of these joint segments do the right sequence, through the right alignment, um, with the right joint angles, with the right pressure.
0: And, uh, like, for, from my experience, too, I found the recode setting was really, really useful, especially if I was in a higher frequency setting. The nervous system inputs are really, really strong. Uh, but then, when I was going for a run, for example, it's, it's harder to think about all the different cues simultaneously because you want get, to kind of get into this flow yeah. of running. So, what I would do. Well, it's like
1: literally impossible at that speed, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, but what I, what I would do to sort of, uh, reinforce the pattern, reinforce, the, uh, you know, the different layers of it was I would do uh, intention intervals. So rather, you know, how like people like I ran for five minutes and walked for five minutes, right. I would run for five minutes with an emphasis on feeling inside ankle bone high and that pressure mediation from the ankle. Then I would right. switch to the the sensation of my hips. Then I would switch to the, sort of figure eight pattern that happens naturally that nice. reciprocation in the shoulders. Right. And so I would do these intention intervals and I would go from one to the next focusing in on it. And what I found was when I would go to and from, I
2: mm-hmm. wouldn't
0: lose it as much because I, I would spend a dedicated block of time yeah. feeling and, and again, coding into my nervous system, what this input felt like, how that pressure mediation happened. And I could go up and down the chain Yeah shifting my focus so i could code it in right it's practicing practicing the inputs.
1: yeah and that's that's where it gets tricky because there's so many pieces we're dealing with the entire human body here so it's like you literally can't especially early on you literally like can't cue everything all at once you try and get as close to you know the math as you can but ultimately when you start this process you know you're throwing yourself in the fire right you're throwing yourself in the fire i'm woda you know, and I, I'm trying to kinesthetically figure out right now the difference between, you know, a right loading pattern, a right releasing pattern and a wrong loading pattern, a wrong releasing pattern. Right. So again, that, that's like actually a perfect way for you to train it and a perfect way for you to like break down the different pieces. Because again, like when you are doing this, it's not all going to happen right away. It's impossible.
2: Well, I've been doing Gota for about two years on, on my own, <laughs> uh, but I do do it like Anthony, Anthony said there. I go piece by piece and I meditate on it and I really try to feel it. And just like any, anything else, a behavior change, you have to input it over and over and over again for it to become subconscious. So that makes sense to me, right? Where I think a lot of the criticism comes in at the time that you're doing it, you're really in your head. That's not the intention for the long term. The intention <laughs> yeah. is to drive it into your subconscious. But with that said, um, one of the other 80-20s that I got is being in your back chain versus your front chain. Now, what do you believe is happening? Because the front chain doesn't go away when you're in your back chain. What do you believe is happening in the front chain when you're in back chain dominance? Do you understand that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: there's an element of obviously those front side muscles are going to be firing. Let's put it this way, in the most simplest way: those front side muscles are obviously still firing. You're obviously, everything is firing, but the the backside tissues, your glutes, your hamstrings, the, your calves, like all that is firing more. It's, it's you know it's taking on more of the force in terms of you absorbing and releasing that energy or just holding yourself up against gravity. So that's really like what we're trying to do. When you stand in the back chain, we're trying to get you away from, um, you know, quads and like abs kind of sensation, more towards a butt and a hamstring sensation. And, you know, again, a a lengthened kind of feeling in your lower back versus when that center of mass is too far forward or that hip is too far forward, you know, you're going to have like a compressive sensation at your lower back. Um, So again, it's kind of just shifting the mass, shifting the what muscles are firing most to you know take to take on the structure um support the structure right again we're trying to lean towards those literally the backside muscles We want those to be doing the most work
0: so the uh the the, maybe the the muscles in the front chain are more stabilizing or they're
1: uh, like
0: lengthening and and maybe taking advantage of some of that elastic uh, reciprocity that happens to and from you know i think of my you know i think of what what my abs feel like after I do a bunch of back chain dominant sprints, the next day it's mostly in through that TVA and like a little bit in through my obliques. But I remember when I was more front chain dominant and I used to do sprints, like my whole, like even my rectus abdominis would just be like, I felt like I did a bunch of crunches right now. It's it's interesting,
1: man. Like when people actually start getting into the back chain for the first time, sometimes they'll have that TVA, like they'll wake up the next day. Oh my gosh, my TVA is like, is sore today right and that's almost like that that front side starting to like lengthen right it's like the front side ultimately gets like short when we're utilizing the quads too much the abs too much all that front side stuff to support our body up and then obviously the lower back the lumbar starts compressing too when you know where we're, again there's nothing necessarily wrong with using the front chain when you have to But when you start misapplying it to like forward locomotion or standing posture then that's when that starts to become like a compressive ongoing structure and behavior
2: so um let's say i watch a lot of sprinters 100 meter sprinters especially and this is a lot of um again the criticism around goda i see inside ankle bone low i see front chain dominance somebody really into their uh jacobs comes to mind where their abs are flexed and contracted Mm -hmm. as they're running through and you'll see this a lot with uh, 100 meter sprinters even football players that are really fast. Um, so the criticism would be: Look, the best in the world are doing it the opposite of what Gota's saying. What would you say to that?
1: It's interesting, man. It's like no, you know, no one's gonna have every single piece. Like, that, you know, that has to be said right now. Like, no modern day. Um, well, first we'll talk about the Gota side. No modern day Gota is gonna have like every single piece. You're gonna see some pieces, right? But we have to understand that, like, everybody we all came from like the same modern society of the shoes that are bringing the inner ankle bone down, you know, the too much padding in the shoes, the modern day training that's biasing like front chain, hardcore and, you know, anti-rotation and stuff like that. Um, so first of all, we're all in the same boat and like, you know, no one, you know, you might see one out of every fricking 10,000 people, you might see like a true natural go but even then are they going to have every single piece, right? You might just see, you know, like one of them, right? Um, we're, we're so detached from that. So um, when we see when we see high-level athletes using WODA and still being successful, like clearly it's it you know clearly it's not to say that they're not a great athlete or that they can't you know compete at a high level. Um, we're you know there's still just issues with what's actually taking place at the joint segments from like an efficiency standpoint and a health standpoint. So guys, if you look at like Usain Bolt, you know like he's his pelvis is misaligned you know what i mean like just take that you got you got looking at like you saying bolts like lower back a lot of these fast people have some misaligned stuff right just so i mean it's not to say that you can't be an amazing athlete like there's the human body will find a bajillion ways to to compensate right but eventually you run into longevity issues right like you saying he tore his hamstring right like a lot of these guys like are in pain all year round these high level athletes are in pain all year round um so we can see the, the the markers and the identifiers that are going to cause pain. Ultimately, the markers and identifiers that show up in slow motion film when we see a catastrophic injury. Um, so that's what I would say. You know, like the human body can figure out a way to be successful regardless. It's great at, you know, it's malleable. Everything is malleable, right? It's great at adapting to anything. But, you know, eventually, you know, something's got to give, right? You keep landing a certain way. Um you keep landing a certain way eventually like you know that achilles is going to tear or that acl or that hamstring or or just the same thing if you keep breathing into like a misaligned structure right like that pelvis or rib cage is just so misaligned like you know your airway is going to close up right you get you know you live in a forward head posture you know it's, you're going to feel like you have a really tight airway so there's there's always a cause and effect to this shit, even though yeah you know there's athletes out there who are killing it and moving through a world of blueprint.
0: So let's talk a little bit about that breathing piece, because I have seen you kind of talk about if you have your airways aligned, if your posture is aligned, if your rib cage and your pelvis relationship is kind of aligned, then you're in a state of decompression all the time. And so can you explain mechanically what's going on there for people who might be like, how is that possible? Like we're always being pulled down by gravity. How can we be decompressing? How can we be lengthening all the time? if just, just with good posture, I think that would be something cool yeah. for people to kind of visualize.
1: For sure. For sure. So like the, the posture or the alignment is like what's setting the tone for the airway to be more open in the first place. And it can even go like deeper with that. We're talking, you know, we're going to be talking about craniofacial stuff and like jaw structure and stuff, but um, you know, it, it ultimately starts there, right? So there's all these people you could say rib cage, you know, shoulder blades, pelvis, even like your feet right like wide feet that's not going to be good for like you your airway um but ultimately when you take a breath into an aligned structure right it is the expansion that's taking place at the diaphragm pelvic floor lungs um it's ultimately increased so if here's your pelvic if here's your ribcage and here's your pelvis right the space in between that is going to increase right and that's not going to happen as a result of you lifting your rib cage up to like create length or you you know curving your lower back more to create a feeling of length right the length is coming from the air moving into an aligned system right Mm. so that's an an open airway the air moving through an open airway is what is creating the space between your rib cage and pelvis which is what real decompression is does that make sense guys
0: That, that makes sense to me does it make sense to you all
2: yeah it makes sense the only uh criticism I would have, and this isn't so much a criticism, just uh, an observation is, I was taught that uh, pelvis aligns with the rib cage right over top of itself and I know that goda has the butt behind ribs, right? And, uh, you know, the old saying where it's a canister and if you bring one part of the can forward from the other, it's easier to crush, therefore um, you're misaligned if your ribs are ahead of your pelvis. What would you say to that
1: yeah, th- in terms that, of dude, airway. Like, that, it's yeah. I mean, there's a lot of camps that like, believe that that rib cage and pelvis has to stack. So what I what you start to realize is like you die because you know, I learned that way too. And it's like, man, how do I, how do I work back chain with that? And then eventually you realize, it's not a matter of them stacking. It's a matter of like the tilts. If you look at them as puzzle pieces, it's a matter of the tilts being at the same spot, based on like the position that you're in and the action that's taking place. Right? Like if you're in a deep squat, for example, like the tilt of that ribcage and pelvis is gonna look different than if you're just standing upright, right? But ultimately it's those two tilts, you know, married, married with each other, okay? Um, and then you can go and get your butt back, get your center of mass back, hinge at the hips and get your, your spine forward, right? And have that, that ribcage in front of the pelvis. So it's ultimately like a flaw, you know? So, so when you breathe into a stacked ribcage and pelvis, Right it you know if, if you have those two, the tilting of the ribcage and pelvis correct, you're gonna have an open airway. so they're not necessarily wrong, but the problem is is that you're still in the front chain. You know we can't sacrifice one for the other. You need to be in the back chain for forward locomotion, but you also have to have your ribcage and pelvis aligned so that your airway is open, right? And it's just a matter of like working through that and figuring out oh where where's my sweet spot of ribcage, pelvis, spine position, et cetera. Okay, they're aligned. okay, now I'll go and get in the back chain okay, now I'll take an inhale through there and you can still feel, okay, I'm still getting that like open airway sensation. I'm still creating the expansion. Um, and then there's no issues with that.
2: Does, that. does that make sense? Oh, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. That's kind of what what I thought as well. But um, I, I just hear the opposite so much with the, for um, sure. Man. Yeah, with the stack. And to me, it's just, it's standing still and looking at the body in a still image versus a, yeah. a energy mover. And uh, I think that's yeah. where Gota really shines is uh, looking at the body as an energy mover versus a still uh, image.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. I think the other idea of this, like this can analogy, this canister analogy, that if you shift it, it's easier to crumble. It, it, it almost sounds like you're filtering it through the lifting paradigm again, right? Because you want to put this bar on your back and not have your yeah. spine crumble underneath this weight that you're putting on it. Right. But in reality, the, the demands of gravity are not, you know, a 400-pound barbell. It's not like yeah. you have this 400-pound force being pushed down and compressing your spine and like easily collapsing your spine all the time. Yeah. But you still, is, but, but what I'm hearing is you still want to have that alignment for the airway openness.
1: So that you can- exactly. And you still, like, you know, a word that gets thrown around a lot is like intra-abdominal pressure, right? You still mm-hmm. want to have, you want to create intra-abdominal pressure with your everyday breath. So, you know, when, when they get that, sent, when they stack the ribcage and pelvis, they're like feeling the pressure. They're feeling the breath. Again, just the issue is, is that they're in the front chain. So they're not prepared for driving forces forward. Right. And they're still going to, and then the carryover of moving around in the front chain, what does that do for the articulation of the hip? Right. What does that do for, you know, et cetera, right? et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, It just causes problems. And ultimately you're still gonna, you know, that's a better solution to breathe. If you line up your rib cage and pelvis um, versus having a misaligned rib cage and pelvis. But yeah, it doesn't solve the problem of us, moving like a goda optimally right so it doesn't solve the problem of marrying the breath um and the open airway with what optimal movement looks like
0: so let's let's talk a little bit more about breathing and breathing patterns and even facial structure for optimal breath because we talked a little bit about that rib cage and pelvis relationship Yeah, uh, we obviously like nasal breathing we're we're team team nose in this this podcast right obviously okay um but let's, let's talk a little bit about when, you, when you're talking about even jaw posture and open airway in terms of what's going on, on in the face. We want to take these nice breaths through the nose, but what's going on yeah. in the rest of our face while we're breathing? And even even yeah. our head on our neck too, that, yeah. like from, from the yeah. neck up, what's going on?
1: Yeah, so got, yeah, the, the way I like to cue like neck up is essentially, you know, cervical spine. We can get deeper into it, but cervical spine on top of thoracic spine right it's like that that encapsulates you have forward head posture right get your cervical spine in line with your thoracic spine so that that's ultimately what neck alignment is we can dive deeper into that cue but yeah i mean it's real important if you have your neck forward you're you're not going to really be able to like get your tongue up against the roof of the mouth that's another thing um but ultimately you have your neck alignment right and um while well, your nose breathing right you're your jaw right one of the things is like you don't want to be like clenching intensely with your jaw right you use your jaw to bite down when you're chewing on stuff but we're talking about actually breathing like you don't want to be clenching all the time right mm. um so it's it's getting out of that like clench and that non-stop bite having good neck alignment having solid tongue strength and alignment against the the roof of the mouth and you know like yeah there's just a lot that you can dive into jaw alignment as well sometimes the jaw likes to move a little bit like to one side or even chewing behaviors like sometimes like i know me when i first started this i was realizing like wow like i'm always chewing like this like side to side on one side of my my jaw there Mm. um so it's it's ultimately like behavioral too right like chewing is something that you've done a billion times in your life just like you've you know, taken steps a billion times in your life. You've reached down to the ground and done a toe touch and a hinge a billion times. So it's, it's definitely some deep layer stuff. And when you start to get like the jaw to expand, you start to align your neck. You start to build these tissues and and the bone structure in your, in your facial structure. It's, it's, it's a big um, implicator of the airway. And again, I've worked with people who, whether that, whether they have, you know, people who have TMJ and like jaw pain and, um, yeah you know sometimes you can't really take a massive step forward with breath work alone until you start like expanding the facial structure like some people will really struggle and you know they'll do breath work and be like oh that was positive right um i feel good but then they'll feel their airway closing afterwards right um ultimately like you, you know you need a certain layer of expansion and alignment for you to even have an open airway in the first place for you to like express this diaphragmatic expansion for you to have like solid lung capacity um yeah does that make sense guys yeah it does
0: when you talk about jaw expansion and the actual like the, the, the expanding space of the jaw what sort of process or inputs are required for that sort of adaptation say that one more time anthony what are what are the processes and the inputs required for your jaw to adapt in that way for your actual structure to expand outwards yeah
1: yeah yeah so the um they you know i, I i'd be hard-pressed to say anything other than i guess what we already talked about like the basics of nose breathing chewing a lot um chewing harder stuff the tongue alignment and strength the jaw alignment the way that you're actually physically chewing stuff neck alignment lung capacity full body alignment right you know if you have like a if you try doing all this stuff and you're in the front chain and you have like a you know, a, a flared rib cage or an overly tilted pelvis, right? You have like forward head, you know, you're not going to get the same kind of results. When you start doing this work, the tension will go, go to like the wrong muscle or it'll, you know, like if you chew, if you chew the wrong way, right, you'll like get all this kind of activation up here in the temples, right? Really mm. you want it in the masseters, right? So there's just, again, just like we've been talking about, right? There's just a, like sweet spots to every single cue, but the basics of what we're talking about is definitely like a direct work that is uh necessary to make those changes necessary to make that expansion i'd say a lot of it is um the tongue and and chewing a lot slash the bigger chewing but again if you don't have like the basics of lung capacity and nose breathing and you know full body alignment to have like uh, a somewhat open airway you're, you're also going to run into problems so there's like direct work that you can go that you can do for it but it's ultimately like a convoluted kind of you know process everybody's process is going to be a little bit different in terms of how they get the most
2: out of it so you're not thinking
0: about sorry go ahead
2: so what are you doing with your tongue what are like on a daily basis is there any you know are you placing it on the roof of the palate are you doing any neurological hacks let's say with the vagus nerve or the uh, hypoglossal nerve in order to facilitate that um the jaw alignment or the tongue alignment what are you doing during the day with the tongue
1: yeah. So, I mean, you, you want your tongue to subconsciously be on the roof of your mouth, creating pressure. And it's the, the back part of the tongue, ultimately, that is creating this pressure. A lot of people will get confused and start pushing way too much with the front of their tongue and in the roof of their mouth. It's that back part of the tongue that's creating most of that pressure up and forward. So the tongue itself is informing um, much of the, the upper jaw growth. The tongue pushing into the palate, um, and that also again too, it's like another piece that's gonna fractionally open up the airway. Like when you get your tongue in the right spot, it's actually activating that vagus nerve, and you should like feel your body want to start breathing deeper, want to start breathing lower and slower, um, like more light too. Um, so so that's that's a big one, man. The tongue and and yeah, the the chewing, the chewing, chewing mastic gum, man, like. That alone, like you go chew mastic gum for, for thirty minutes, and like, you know, your job will just be on fire. Sometimes I look at myself gum? after chewing mastic gum, and like I laugh at myself. I have like a huge, freaking like facial pump. It almost looks stupid. <laughs> um, but but mastic gum is tree sap, man. It's tree sap. Uh, it's like growing up the Mediterranean.
0: Yeah, Greece in-
1: is, it- is what Greece popular for it. It's a, it's so a tree natural. called
0: Chios, Chios mastia is it's what it's so
1: hard and, and harder than regular.
0: Yeah. So, so it's this tree sap that's harvested it from, again, yeah, it's a, it's a tree sap that, uh, from this tree I think called the Chios mastia tree harvested off of a, in a Mediterranean Island off of the coast of Greece. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty exceptional stuff. I have uh, I have a little canister of it as well. And, it it doesn't taste like anything other than like a mild, like almost like a little bit of a piney tree sap. But again, you get your neck alignment yeah. right, you you get you get a little bit on both sides. So again, you're not doing the one side chewing, and you, you start to chew it, and you do you yeah. get this like huge huge jaw pump. It looks really looks start to look like the Giga Chat after like 20 minutes of chewing it. It's really funny. And yeah. Sean Beddington yeah, be is saying how
1: like intense and how powerful the activation is.
0: Sean, Sean here is uh, one of our audience members is saying that humming is also a a really good thing for for jaw alignment and posture. So if I guess if you get that, one of the things that I find interesting is when some people get that tongue alignment, I'll put the tongue to the sort of line where my teeth meet my gums. And some people have a hard time swallowing or humming or even breathing. Like a challenge for most people is like how much pressure and suction yeah. can you create upwards while still maintaining some of these other functions yeah. like swallowing, like nasal breathing, you know, this, um, so you don't do any yeah. mewing or do you, do you do any, uh, any mewing or, or specific exercises for that? Or is it mostly just alignment work and breathing and, uh, and domesticum?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can do a, I, I I'm hard pressed to like, call mewing mewing because you know it's it's supposed your tongue is supposed to be there as a byproduct of like you know the development and alignment lung capacity you know this this starts obviously in like the developmental age like you know kids like breastfeeding and stuff that's where this like starts your tongue alignment um so it it should you know your tongue should be there automatically but yeah you can definitely mess with like as as an exercise pushing hard into the roof of your mouth that suction with that pressure. Um yeah, you can definitely mess around with it. That's something that I do. Um that's that's part of what I do. Not every single day, but um the concept actually is called hard mewing, driving hard pressure
0: mm.
1: up into the palate. And again, specifically through that back part of the tongue. Um yeah, yeah. So I mean I, I do mewing, but like, you know, it's not something I'm thinking about 24 seven. Like I need to push my tongue up like i trust that my tongue i can feel that my tongue is up as a byproduct of you know everything else that i'm doing in the holistic conversation as a whole
0: and that was something that i noticed when i did a lot of nasal breathing and then i started learning about jaw posture and tongue posture Um, i had a little bit of a background in pranayama yoga breathing and they have a cue called the bhaga which is where you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth and that's like this thing that's supposed to help you control your prana better and and control your breathing better and so i noticed that like i'd been doing all this nasal breathing work with ryan i did all this alignment work doing the goda with you and then i was just noticing that oh i have a naturally good tongue posture my tongue is naturally sitting on the roof of my mouth uh, without me having to do it you know i'd been mouth taping for a little bit and i stopped mouth taping and i you know the, the feedback apps and stuff that i have on my phone I'm not snoring. I'm, I'm still breathing through my nose for most of the night, as far as I know. Nice, uh, even without tape, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's like a long-term goal, right? Not having to use, not having to use any tape when you sleep. It's it's building up the, <clears throat> building up the lung capacity, building up the nose breathing behavior, building up the, the tongue strength, building up the tongue suction. All those things are ultimately going to make you nose breathe and not open up your mouth while you're sleeping. So that's kind of like a high level concept right there is to like stop using the mouth tape once you develop this stuff.
0: Hmm. I kind of think of it in the same way that like once you do a certain amount of recode work, you kind of develop this fascia integrity that keeps you within these patterns and the patterns become more efficient and you have this, it's the tensegrity, right? You can have like a facial tensegrity and a tongue tensegrity and, and all this tensegrity that kind of helps... That jaw posture—that's been my experience anyway. We just—we uh, lost Eric there for a second. he he'll, he'll sign back in. He was probably just uh, lost the, some battery on his phone. But have you messed around with any of this stuff?
2: Uh, you're talking to me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, not really. Uh, here and there, I haven't had a mewing practice so much to say, but I do do face yoga, uh, right. quote unquote face yoga, and I—I I can show you. I open. Do that tongue, pull my tongue in either direction with my hands like forcefully and try to um, activate my muscle from that. So I do actively do that, but I'm going to try what you've been saying, actively push into the top palate and do it for, you know, intervals. I'm going to try the mastic gum and uh, see where that goes.
1: Yeah, Yeah, man, go ahead and do it for like uh, 15 seconds, multiple sets. You know, it's a great time to do that is before bed. Because then you're informing, like, you're informing yourself of the tongue alignment that you want while you're sleeping. And again, the tongue, like, it informs a lot of this, um, it forms a lot of the nose breathing, right? Ultimately, what you want is, like, people don't realize how much suction and pressure there is. Ultimately, you want there to be so much suction and pressure while your mouth is closed that you can actually have, like, a subtle separation between your teeth. Right? That's how, and just think about that for a sec. Like, that's how much pressure you want from your tongue that it's actually, like, slightly separating your jaw, right, Mm -hmm. while your mouth is closed. Obviously, when we're talking, that's not going to happen. You know, when we're chewing, that's not going to happen. But as a baseline, like, you know, mouth-jaw posture, that's how much you want the tongue pushing, right? So there's separation between the teeth. Before bed, you're actually, like, you're leveraging some of the, the byproducts of, like, nose breathing better.
0: One of the interesting byproducts of doing a lot of this work and, and having a lot of this awareness is, and I don't know if it's related because it could be something completely unrelated that that caused this, but I, I used to get a lot of like micro allergic reactions to different foods where I would feel like my sinuses were really stuffed up. And like, I'm talking about like healthy foods, like things like bananas or like, you know, like a fresh cheese or something. Like I would just get these like micro allergic yeah. reactions where it was hard to breathe through my nose. And I get stuffed up and I have to blow my nose all the time. And I just found I have like, I I haven't changed my diet that much. I've been eating way more dairy, which used to, you know, stuff me up quite a bit. Maybe it's actually the gradual exposure to dairy that's, that's helped this. But um, I noticed that I just don't have that stuffy sinus, like can't breathe out one nostril, but I can breathe out the other. Like I just don't have that anymore. And if I do, I'm just doing that nasal and blocking technique that, uh, that Brian Mirabella teaches and that you teach in your course as well. Um, but I, I just don't get that blocked nostril sensation anymore since doing this work as much. I don't even have the allergic reactions to different foods as much as I do. And I can just like power breathe through my nose without getting schmutz everywhere. You know, like I remember watching this, uh, this fruitarian guy, his argument was like, the reason frutarian is so good is I can breathe through my nose And he did like that in front of the mic for like 10 really, really big breaths and nothing came out and dude, I'm eating like meat and dairy and I'm doing the same thing. So sorry, Eli, it's, it's, uh, it's not a, not a great example, but I really do think that uh, there's something to be said for, for the, even the nasal cavity health, when you're, when you're breathing in alignment and you're getting those proper inputs, you're getting that nitric oxide and CO2 tolerance going up. Like it probably has like a very, very big impact on how your, your paranasal cavity is interacting with other environmental factors.
1: Definitely, it's like that. that paranasal cavity is what's like producing the nitric oxide. Night, you know, people buy nitric oxide, as a supplement, right? Mm. Like mm-hmm. that's ultimately the nitric oxide is what. You, know, you feel good from from breathing through your nose because you're breathing more parasympathetic. But it's like the nitric oxide that's ultimately like relaxing the muscle tissues and getting like stuff to feel like less tight or feel longer.
2: Mm. So I wanted to shift to uh, just a couple of questions I have on columns and uh, byproducts of yeah. being in the bow. So the observation of people landing and uh, I say, I'd say releasing energy from a bow, that's obvious to me now. I'm witnessing it everywhere and um, that's all fine and dandy. However, that doesn't mean that you have to train in a bow. I believe that, that you do, but other people would say that, um, the bow is a byproduct of landing in a good force. What would you say to that? Not having to train the bow specifically and let's say train kind of like FRC does, have uh, movement inside the hip that'll allow you the attributes to get into the bow without having to train it.
1: Definitely. definitely. Well, like the, the bow is a byproduct of a bunch of things, right? I mean, like your spine turns, your arm, swings, your upper body turns. Turns into the column, then your foot lands, your pelvis is turning, your foot lands, then your hip and ankle creates articulation for your knee to point out for you to set a bow shape, right? So ultimately, yeah, that's like a good point that there you know the bow is a manifestation of a bunch of other things, and it goes back to what I say where like everything is completely connected. so I, I don't agree with the fact that like you know, not training the bow. I think you want billion percent to train the bow. Um, but yeah, you got to understand too that everything every single cue is connected so you're not just going to train a bow and expect to have a bow or a clean one without you know all the other pieces involved and and bow actually showing up correctly or that bow like articulating into the bow correctly right and then articulating into the corner correctly right so i do think we we have to you have to absolutely train that bow you have to train every piece you have to reinform your body of every piece
2: So that goes with training outside your columns. How much room is there? And I can say, personally, I use horse stance, not a lot, but I use horse stance a little bit for training, let's say internal rotation, Um, going a little bit pigeon-toed. I modify horse stance from what I see in uh, martial arts because I train that quite a bit. And I find that works really well with waving back and forth like a pressure wave, okay? So basically, I'm going head over foot, but in the a wider stance how much room do you think there is for going outside your columns while training and not have that show up within your uh stride within your locomotion
0: i really like the freeze Uh, frame (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty hilarious eh? It's, it's a good uh good um uh Input there just to kind of elaborate on what he was talk uh, what he was talking about in terms of training the bow. I've been thinking about this a lot too, because it is uh, it is ultimately a nervous system input. And so when you're training the bow, you're training those muscles to fire in sequence for that load and release pattern. So it's it's as much of a nervous system input as it is an uh, an attribute training input, right? But sorry, we, we just you just got cut out. The question was how much room is there for training outside of the columns without it starting to mess up your locomotion?
1: That's a, man, that's a, that's a great, great question, Will. So, um, you know, let's put it this way. Like we're moving forward through space, you know, what's the, what's the fastest way to get forward, right? It always has to come back down to, you know, I mean, it's not to say that there aren't other things that are important, but I do think forward locomotion is at the hierarchy, right? Like forward movement is our main task. Okay. Driving forces forward is our main task. So, you know, the, the fastest way to get to point A to point B is, you know, Going straight, right? But we know when there's an element of a wave, right? We know that that's more efficient. And it's actually going to get you faster, get you there faster when you stretch out that wave, right? So when when we start thinking about wide columns, really wide columns, or you know what what ends up starting to happen is that wave starts becoming a higher frequency wave, right? And the movements to to get there start being bigger than what's required right and you stretch that wave out, right and it's actually taking a lot longer time for you to get from point a to point b especially if you were to like think about how that would carry over into you know forward movement or actually you know that actually playing out in real time so and, and that's actually like another thing i can say which is like what we see what i see a lot of is you know these waves being like way too big and you know from what I observe, I'm not saying you're getting outside of the math, but what I observe is like a lot of the times people will get outside of the mat once they start making those waves too big, right? And at the end of the day, that's more relative to like um, lateral locomotion. So that's, that's kind of my final commentary on that, brother, is that um, we start going a little bit wider. We start making those waves a little bit bigger. That's more like lateral movement. Again, at the end of the day, though, we are primarily designed to go forward. So I don't think there's too, in the training setting, I don't think there's too much leeway. I want those ankle joints right underneath the hips because, <clears throat> again, we're all we're all we're coming into this process, moving forward through space and holding our body up in the the woda blueprint, the blueprint that we've already defined to like not be optimal of for forward movement. So I'm always like, you know, very much so concerned about getting back to that that base base structure. So it's not to say that there's not going to be carryover from doing a horse stance for for what you're looking for, but if we can bring it back to like forward locomotion, you know, I I wouldn't wanna, I wouldn't get my client, uh, you know, anytime my client's like wider than this, I'm gonna tell them to bring it back. If you start going out here, I'm gonna tell you to bring it right back.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. Anthony, anything to add to that one?
1: Yeah,
0: one one thing, when you're talking about your horse stance and you said you kind of, you wave side to side and you're getting head over foot, do you think that because you're practicing it dynamically, Are you still technically in a column, just in a wide setting? Like in terms of yeah, he's still getting his
1: head in the column. Yeah, like
2: yeah, I'm I'm practicing. I'm thinking energy wave. I'm thinking energy movement as I'm doing it. I'm not just doing the regular. I can kind of show you. I don't know if you can see it. Um, You can kind of see that my feet are wide. I'll go back and forth like this, and I'll try. to, My hips are moving at the same time. Let's see if you can see that. Yeah yeah see and i can even do my hips as i go right very little i don't do this a lot really
1: reminds me it really reminds me of like what we'd see in like a lateral like movement on a football field or like a basketball court where like that step ends up being a little bit wider to then go and take it the other way um and also where like your your pelvic your hip joint was in like relation to your ankle right again that's like more of what we're gonna see in forward locomotion we don't want I don't want like my ankle all the way over here and my hip over here when I'm setting that bow, right? I want them to be more like this when that bow is setting, right and forward moving. But yeah, like you know, we clearly see that kind of action in in, in a lateral kind of sport specific moment. Does that that make sense, bro? How I'm it d- it does that. make
2: sense? And I train like ninety percent in the columns, like uh, forward yeah. locomotion, but I find yeah. that one to be very good for uh, for feeling the hip. And actually, uh having a wider stance I do a lot of boxing, so a wide stance makes sense to me for some applications right so <laughs> I do understand what you're saying with uh, the forward locomotion most things for me, it's ninety percent to ten percent if that right yeah. so
1: yeah. yeah you're all about it man and like even yeah. with like what you're doing too like when you're like sparring there's forward and backward movement so like I can you know I can understand like messing around with these like different derivatives because you know ultimately you you know, it's not the offense is like back chain. The offense is going to like defense is like, what would I, like you know, avoiding a punch or avoiding a hit or you know, yeah, miss not not having someone actually attack you, right? So it's there. There's there's forward and back. There's back chain and front chain. It's like a dance. Um But yeah, you understand my concerns when I say just getting people right. People are in, ultimately people are in pain. People are confused, right? My thing is like, hey, let's just get you guys back to, you know. Let's get you guys back to the baseline stuff. So if
0: you if you had an athlete that you were training, like an NFL guy, when you're talking about that wide stance, it's kind of like a hard cut, right? These yeah. guys obviously need to be prepared to do some of these maneuvers in game day. They, they aren't just focusing on forward locomotion. Sort of like hey, Even if they're like a big like 400-pound dude, like breaking through the – freaking field they they need that ability to laterally cut would that be a way that they could kind of train that they want to almost like train a bow in a corner action in a wide setting is that is that how you would approach that
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah i mean you can do you you know there you could still and they're going to do the thing is is that they're going to be doing most of these drills bro like at practice when they're playing mm-hmm. with their team they're going to be doing dude they're going to be getting a crap ton of reps every single day during scrimmage during practice so like my, my concern is, is like, I'm trying to get you guys like the basics of alignment and forward movement. And yeah, we can inform the athlete, like how we'd want that lateral wider step to take place. They need to be able to do that on the field. Then yeah, that's where a lot of the injuries are going to happen too. Right. Yeah. So like you would want to do that correctly. It's important that you do that correctly. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to like go out of my way to give them like a wider exercise gotcha. because again, they're getting so, we can still have that conversation with them. But they're getting so many reps on a daily basis when they're with me or like when it comes to like what I want to do with them. Yeah. More concerned with like that base, base, forward movement, base posture, base breathing. Hmm.
0: My, so, so my, my thought too, is like if they're getting a lot of the repetition on the field on practice, and the goal is to kind of make these subconscious movements, would, would you not want to like, even, even do like isolated drills where it's like, because that's where the injuries take place. Right. And, and a lot yeah. of the, the go to mentality is longevity that's of your right. joints and longevity of the tissues so like would you do isolated drills yeah. where they're changing directions and it's like we're going to try and get the math as like as good as possible as you're changing directions yeah. here um, would it be more dynamic like obviously you don't yeah. want to spend a ton of time in wide columns in a static setting right like you you wouldn't want yeah. that necessarily but of would course you, would you show them drills would you try how would you subconsciously reinforce that pattern when yeah. they're when they're like in that game day setting uh-huh. and when they're getting that that those tons of repetitions at practice yeah
1: I definitely think it's still relative to inform them of that. Like when, when I'm with them going out of my way to, to give them those those exercises, like, you know, I, I haven't done that with any athlete I've worked with, like going out of my way to give them something wide. But what I do know is that ultimately the same function of forward movement and lateral move, like it's the same, right? So if you can like properly set a bow when you're moving forward through space and you can properly like articulate and get into these joint angles that we're looking for, you know, I, I have trust that like when it's time to move laterally, your knee is not going to want to just go in to absorb force. Your inside ankle bone is not going to want to collapse because, you know, it'd be a different story almost if lateral was like a different structure and sequence. But ultimately, it's still the same sequence, right? It's a femur head and an ankle that's turning back and out after your upper body turned. And then your upper body will turn and then your you know hip and ankle will corner the other way. They'll change direction. You know, it's, it's the same thing, except now we're making a bigger wave rather than a, a lower frequency wave when we go forward. So, um, you know, if the, if the basics and the fundamentals are down, I'm not like worried about that change of direction moment, but it's still, I think it's still like very important to have those especially with athletes to like have those conversations about the nuances and to like talk about how it would play out. But would I be giving them like sets and reps of like wide stuff? No. Cool. They're going to, again, they're going to hit those wide, those wide angles every day when they do their, you know, individual drills, every day when they're, you know, cutting on the field.
0: So those safer narrow columns are safer inputs to kind of train that, that pattern. And then you you keep them mindful of it when they're doing those drills at practice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're, They're going to be doing those drills anyways. It's going to be expressed in the game and the scrimmage. So um, you know, if they're you know, maybe it's more relative if someone really is having an issue with even running forward in the first place. And their an athlete, maybe a wide receiver or a basketball player that like has to do a lot of change of direction. Maybe that's like a, maybe that's something that we have to address. Um, you know, have have that conversation more seriously or have that conversation earlier on. Um, but yeah, the thing is is like we're we're trying to, you know, looking at forward movement as a hierarchy, it's just we don't want to complicate it too much. It's the same reason why I'm not, you know, if someone's doing like pull-ups or someone's doing like, um, you know, KOT, right? Or whatever the case is, like I'm gonna tell them like, stop doing that. You can't expect to like become more GOTA if you're getting like front chain inputs all the time. Can't expect mm-hmm. to get more GOTA if you're like working through, you know, the old paradigm, right?
0: I, I think that's, um, that's a theme that people don't talk about a lot is it, it's okay to take a step back and be a Puritan and go to movement for a little bit so that you can actually get those adaptations. And yeah, well, then you, you know, want to hear you know. a
1: wild story, actually. I mean like this, my, my boy Joe, he, um, you know, I, I hit him up with a, a regimen and some exercises recently. Um, and he's been, he's been like following us for a while. So I kind of just like helped him out out of my own kindness. Cause I knew this guy has been in the mix with us following what we're doing. Um, and and he said that he he's a soccer player he's been playing like less soccer this year than usual and it's because he actually hurt himself so he's been doing like less like technical stuff mm-hmm. but um he recently got on the field He was doing scrimmage um he's out there in florida and he was doing scrimmage with like there was this like 10 10 million dollar athlete from you know like england or the uk or whatever who who he was playing with and he, you know he was like playing with this dude and he like, you know, like when, you know, went at him during the game and say like scored like two or three times on this guy. And that that athlete was like giving him props and stuff. And he was telling me, he's like, man, like feels like, we're really it's been like a month since I gave him this work and assessed him. He's like, man, it feels like we're really like addressing the root cause of things here. And like, you know, I haven't been working on my technique as much. I haven't been like actually I've been play He said he played soccer. He's been playing soccer this year, like 20 percent less than what he has been doing, like the last, you know, like decade of his life. Mm. but he's at he like went out there and he's like testing it in real time and he's feeling like he's an actually a better player like a more efficient player literally after only a month of up leveling the basics of how you hold your body up how you absorb and release energy and how you're breathing
0: this is joe uh is he the barefoot bandit on yeah, uh, on instagram
1: yeah, yeah cool yeah, dude man.
0: really cool dude he, 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 yeah, he's doing some he really, really solid. good work it's solid
1: yeah, man. Yeah.
0: Super solid guy. That's, that's really neat, man. Like I will. And I mean, I, I experienced that too, where I, you know, I, I sort of took time away from other inputs and I, I, you have to, you have to experience what the effects are. If you change too many variables in your life at the same time and you get a result, it's hard to tell what variable that you changed gave you that particular mm-hmm. result. So when you're testing a system, you know, I'll still get people being like, what do you think of me mixing this with that and and adding a little bit of this? And I'm like, honestly, just pick, pick one thing and see how you like it understand what it does for you in a pure sense first and then mm-hmm. you'll have the ability to apply those results and that input contextually in your in your life like as you're moving through if there's a problem that you know that this one particular input solves then you'll be able yeah. to apply that so you need you need the the the, the pure approach first, you need to be a bit of a Puritan when you're when you're applying some of these systems at first to really understand what those inputs yeah. do to your system as a whole, then if you want to mix and match, well, then you can kind of observe when I add this input with this input, what is the result now yeah. that I have the baseline understanding of what this input does and what this input does if I blend them. Uh, or I add this context here, and I add, add this context there. Right? It it uh, you know even even just as an example for uh, you know when when you and I were doing work together, I would experiment with doing breath work before, or after, or just not at all. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and to see how that would affect my my tissue quality and my nervous system state and all these different things for the adaptation. And uh, you know, I, I found that for the most part, if I did breath work first, I was able to access a little bit more Mm. if i did it after i would calm my nervous system down yeah i wouldn't get that nervous system burnout that i would sometimes get after doing like really intense workouts
1: yeah yeah
2: yeah i find with uh it's like you never
1: really know until you test it
2: mm -hmm. i find with athletes i I think a lot of them would get 80 20 if they just chilled out a little bit and added actually added um more easy inputs something like Gota, right um where you're doing less on the field. You're not trying to run through a wall, the David Goggins mentality again, right? Like I have to do more practice, I have to do more lifting. It's like, if you just let your body chill out for a bit, then you're gonna get more uh, inputs. And this is what I see in the, as a chiropractor as well, right? Like if your tissue's injured, if your joints are injured, you're not gonna get output from that joint. Your nervous system will just not let you do it. So it's better to chill out for the most part, for most athletes, I think. And that's where a lot of these systems that don't do the heavy lifting may have success. And I have also heard that as a criticism of yours. Oh, um, Goat is just stopping you from lifting and then people might be injured. So that's why they're getting success. I just wanted to to throw that out there, right? Even yeah. though I don't, I don't well, well, buy what that. What did I say
1: about lifting that. <laughs>
2: yeah, well,
1: yeah. Uh, you know. what does i say about lifting then
2: (laughs) yeah well no i'm with you on
1: this right yeah yeah i know we're on the same page but talking about the nervous system it's like yeah i think people's nervous systems are are way more jacked up than people realize and like you have Mm -hmm. to like regulate your own nervous system to even like realize like how much better you can feel like i totally agree with you man a lot of these athletes the patterns are more in like deeper into the system right They're 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 like under more stress because their livelihood is based on their performance, like physical performance, and this stuff's even more important for them. Yeah, it's and you know, Gota isn't. That's the thing too. It's like ask man. Like Anthony, is Gota really like that easy? You know, like do a rocker. Dude, no no, no, Go Gota, Gota is not properly. like do rockers <laughs> properly for five minutes, and tell me if you're not absolutely obliterated. I
0: I would I used to get when I first started with you the expectation was to train every day and I would have to take days off because I would get the same nervous system hangover feeling as if I've maxed out my deadlifts sometimes. Like, you know, that exhausted, <laughs> yeah. like sort of like kind of dizzy, like, yeah, like almost brain space tired. Space. Yeah. Brain tired. It was, it was, cause it's a new neurological input, right? When you're, when you're getting that granular with yeah. the articulations and the angles that you're trying to input it, like I would get exhausted from a half hour workout too. Like you weren't making me train that long. It was like 30 to 45 minutes. And I would, like, I'd have to take days off after, like, three or four days when I first started because yeah. I was just zonked.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky, man, because even before, like, you were probably doing longer go-to workouts, but you weren't, like, tapping into the math the same way that I was mm-hmm. getting you to tap into.
0: No, I still, have, I still have my old video on my Instagram of, like, my, my half hour, my go-to morning routine that I used to do. And I watched it back. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I was way off. Like when you're talking about these sweet spots and these nuances after like working with you for, for the months that we worked together, I was like, shit, I, I saw it and I understood it, but I didn't viscerally get it. And once I started learning the, the articulations, like you said, those sweet spots really honoring and paying attention to the fact that there is actually yeah. specificity to these inputs that we're trying to train. Right. I, I hit those efficient points. And when you, when you talk about it being, I remember messaging you once I ha- I went out for a run and I was like, I felt this toe fold on the release on the corner of every step that I had. And I was like, oh my God, this is the same pressure mediation that he's getting me to do when he gets me to do those toe tuck rocker exercises. It was like, oh shit, it's a fractal. That's all the same thing. The singularity, all that like woo stuff that they're talking about. This is the singularity and I felt it. And I like getting goosebumps and like the hair raises. You know, just just thinking about that exact there was a visceral experience and it was like, I, I got it. You know what I mean?
2: There is something to feeling it, you know, that like mm. when I go out and I feel at the end of my run and, and I'm locked in, I'm like, whoa, like I, I'm <laughs> walking around, I'm, I don't want to end my run. I'll just I'll keep going and just, you know, go at a half pace and just feel I'm like this is amazing. I wish every good everybody could feel something like this, right? Or getting in the math, getting the pressure wave correct. And having such ease when you're running is really something that has to be felt, right? So there is something to that, to being in the math or something that God is really locked into that is real, that it, that you have to feel in order to, to really believe. And uh, I know that sounds kind of religious in a way, but there is something to this that you've been linear moving for so long and then you lock into a pressure wave, an actual having all the parts sinking together and feeling it with the breath. It's amazing. Right. The, so the
0: way, the way that I describe it is it's a transcendental flow state through kinesthetic efficiency. And that's, like the only, that's the only, that's the, the, the way that I could sum it up, like transcendental flow state through kinesthetic efficiency. I was just saying that like, when I felt that like I'm
1: jumping th- in on here.
0: Oh yeah. So I was, I was telling the story of like when I was going for the run and I felt that release of the energy it was the exact same force transference as all those toe tuck rockers that you got me to do. And I was yeah. able to release this energy more efficiently. And I understood what Gota talks about uh, where, where they talk about it's it's fractals of a singularity. It's all the same math. And at first, when when I heard that, I was like, okay, I, com- I kind of conceptually get what you're talking about, but it seems a little woo woo. But then when I kinesthetically felt it, I was like, Phew! it was like I'd taken like a psychedelic drug or something. <laughs>
1: Yeah, man, it's like when we say the math is real, yeah, the math is real. It's a matter of like tapping into that, the kinesthetics of that. Um, and, and, you know, when it's a wave, when we say it's a wave, it really is a wave, right? It's uh, again, I think the biggest thing is people's like conceptions entering this process. Like they're clearly moving, um, you know, when everyone who starts this, they're moving in like the opposite blueprint. And the hardest part is just like wrapping your brain around what we're saying. You know, and that's why people even who are, like, outside of the industry or people, you know, people who aren't coaches, everyday people, like, a lot of the times they can, like, resonate with GoTo a lot faster and actually start, like, progressing faster than coaches can. Mm. because they don't have those, like, self-limiting, like, or not even self-limiting, but, like, preconceived, like, notions about, like, how things should be. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's it's this is its own paradigm almost, you know, and it, nothing really compares, to be honest.
0: I even think of a, a buddy of mine who he would be like, man, every time I sprint, my ha- uh, my quads hurt. And he's like, I always end up throwing out like my hamstring, but my quads hurt and I don't get it. And he was like, he was he was like Wodeville, right? And I just remember teaching him just some column work and some joint stacking. And he had this moment where it's like, wait, you mean my body just supports itself like this. Like it can just hold itself up like this. I don't have to lean or like fight to like fight against gravity. He had this moment where he's like, "I'm just stacked. I'm just supported." And, and when you talk, like the the religious experience, he was like, "This is like
1: equilibrium for the first time in my life."
0: He was blown away by it. It was it was so funny.
1: <laughs> it's so cool, and, man. That's yeah, like, we all need to have those like light bulb moments ourselves right to ultimately like make sense of this that's why i like describe it like you know throwing yourself in the kinesthetic fire you gotta you know you've got to start figuring out right from wrong and and that alone can like trigger people just saying there's like a right and a wrong right um so th- there's a lot of hurdles that we got in terms of like getting this to everybody but i know you guys can see can see the value in it
2: now would you agree or disagree with this a lot of what i see maybe it's just the instagram algorithm but I see even go to coaches doing go to workouts and and being in the math, but then only sprinting and like showing the slow-mo of the sprint. For me, I was really feeling it when I was going on longer, slower runs where I was using it with uh, Brian Mirabella's breath. Um, That's where I'm really feeling Mm -hmm. what is true and what's not true because I'm letting my body flow and I'm like, okay, this is, I'm just letting it happen and this feels efficient. There's no lying anymore. I'm feeling it, right? So, or, or I shouldn't say lying, but conceptualizing. It's more just, it's a felt experience. Do you think uh, coaches would benefit more from going on longer, slower runs and really trying to meditate and feel the, yeah. the math?
1: Yeah, I, I think, man, I think your your intuition is serving you correctly. I mean, like slower speeds, right? That's less pressure that needs to be absorbed into a column. So ultimately, like the same way that you know you're gonna want to know how to do a perfect rocker before I start telling you to do you know hundreds of drop-ins, right? We gotta right, we gotta crawl before we walk. We gotta you know jog before we run. So that makes complete sense, man. It's like that's you know it's it's easier for you to like absorb force into that structure in the go-to way. You're deeper in the math, right? Once we start sprinting, you might see something that looks like a bow, but we're talking about you know six, seven, eight times force into of your body weight into that structure so um yeah it's just a matter of it actually you, know, you actually getting to that bow you know you having that knee out position being in a way that's done done safely right and it's not always the case i do think the average coach the average person would benefit from like long walks long hikes um mm. figuring out the job before they get into you know high volume sprinting for sure
0: I mean, I've, I even I started people, taking, you know,
1: if i got someone who's sprinting a lot or really wants to sprint, I'll tell them to, you know, I'm getting people to stop. Right? I'll mm-hmm. get people to stop sprinting for the time being, right? Before, and, you know, let's figure out this math. Let's get like these details down. If you have the, oper- you know, if you're a pro athlete, you don't have that luxury, right? But the everyday mm-hmm. person does have that luxury. Let's slow it down, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it ultimately is.
0: Yeah, and guys, you have to feel this stuff. This is a podcast where you're listening to ideas, and you can visualize, and you can feel it out, and you can you be like, okay, I kind of get what they're, they're what they're saying. I can observe the same things. You can watch the slow motion videos. You can see it. You can understand it conceptually, logically. You can break it all down, and that's what podcasts are. We're here talking about ideas about movement. We're here talking about ideas, but ultimately, you have to move. Movement are not ideas movement is movement. So go out and experience these things for yourself. If you want to go check out Eric's work, follow him at underscore flow ops on Instagram. You can go to www.fixbackpainforever.com to check out his entry-level course where he teaches you the fundamentals of breath work and Goda, you can go to redpillmastery.com, www.redpillmastery.com, where he's giving the most in-depth course on Goda that has ever been given shy of a certification course. These are all exceptional educational resources that you can dive really, really deep in this stuff and actually experience it firsthand yourself. So you got to go check that out guys. This was episode 82 of the art of move podcast. Unfortunately I have to get going. I have to go for a run. Actually I have to do my second workout of the day for 75 hard uh, and we got to, and we got to get Will back to work here too. So Eric dude, thank you so much for diving deep again with us on some of the nuances of this stuff. This is obviously still our favorite thing to talk about, our favorite thing to explore. But uh, yep. more than anything, it's our favorite thing to feel and to experience.
1: So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today, man. I appreciate Eric. you guys so much. Thank you for having me on. I'll come back anytime, man. Eh?
0: Perfect. We'll catch you on the next episode of The Art of Move, guys. Thank you again for listening. Have a good one, guys. Boom.